Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We appreciate you tuning in again this week and trust and pray that you're getting some help from the Bible lessons conducted here on the Searching the Scriptures radio program. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and it's always a privilege and an honor to have an open Bible and another opportunity to expound the Scriptures to you. And we hope that you'll follow along with us today. As always, we encourage you to get your Bible open. Follow along that you might see the Word of God for yourself. This week, we're going to be back in Acts chapter 9, and we want to continue discussing the marvelous, miraculous experience of salvation that Saul of Tarsus had. And let me just say here, as we stated in the previous program concerning Saul's conversion, you must remember that this is the book of Acts. Uh, for those of you who know your Bible well enough, you recognize that this is a transitional book, a narrative of the history of the early church during the apostolic age when there were apostles. An apostle, one of the requirements for an apostle was to have seen the Lord Jesus Christ alive after his resurrection physically with the physical eye. Now, I have seen him by faith and know that he's alive because I believe the record of the word of God. But these men who first began to be witnesses of the resurrection were literal eyewitnesses, personal eyewitnesses. They were there. They saw him. They touched him. They handled him. They knew him uh, physically in the physical realm after he rose from the dead. And this is what the church is built upon. The chief cornerstone is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the other building block stones, if you will, are the apostles. You'll find that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And so the apostle Paul, as he becomes known, uh, had to have seen, in order to be uh, legitimately accepted in the early church as an apostle, had to see Jesus Christ literally, physically with his eye. Now let me just say this, uh, God is not going to give you that kind of an experience because we walk by faith, those of us who read the Word of God. Remember, in Acts chapter 9, the only Word of God that they had available at that time was the Old Testament Scriptures. The 39 books of the Old Testament was what they had and what they were expounding Jesus Christ uh, out of and also reminding them that we saw this man, we saw him raised from the dead, and uh, therefore the Apostle Paul is going to write half of the New Testament. Along with many other writers, we now have a completed New Testament that gives us all of the information we need to know about how to be reconciled to God. And the Bible is very clear that we are, as Christians, to walk by faith, not by sight. I do not have to see something in the sky. God does not have to arrange the clouds to where it says, Hey, Travis, look up here. God's not going to do that. God is not going to part the heavens and appear to men in order to get them saved. The next time he appears, he will appear to all the church, and that's who we're supposed to be looking for. Titus 2.13, written under the inspiration of the Apostle Paul, tells us this. We are to be, quote, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But here in Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul has a very miraculous experience on the road to Damascus where Jesus Christ reveals himself literally to his visibility and knocks him down and blinds him with his glory from his throne in heaven. And so the Apostle Paul gets his start here when he's converted in Acts chapter 9. So let's go back and talk some more. We'll do a little bit of review from the last week. And then we will get into some of the things that happened when Paul was converted. And of course, we start our study today in Acts chapter 9. Let's begin reading together in verse 1. Verse 1 says, And Saul, 
yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as we noticed in our last study, uh, the Apostle Paul didn't just talk. He put feet to his uh, beliefs. He put action behind his words. Paul was not just breathing out threatenings and slaughter. He was actually going after these people, these disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amazingly, some commentators get hung up in verse 1 over the phrase that Saul was, quote, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. They seem to get confused over what that means. It's very simple. The Bible says this. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Do you know what was in Saul's heart? Hatred for the disciples of the Lord Jesus. Uh, despise. He's despised this new sect, this new heretical cult that was threatening Judaism there in Jerusalem. And so what was on his lips, what he was breathing out, he was verbally threatening the church and the disciples of the Lord, and he was <clears throat> speaking of slaughtering them. That, listen, when you talk, it takes air to talk. And when you're speaking, that air is being pushed out over your vocal cords. You're breathing out as you speak words. And so you know what uh, Saul was doing? He was talking and threatening with his lips and his mouth. He was talking of threats and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Why? Because that was what was in his heart. And I'm going to tell you, until you change a man's heart, you really do not change the man. Amen and amen. That's why... As we spoke last week, uh, salvation is an inside job that God performs. It's a miracle every time the new birth takes place. And it takes place in the heart of men. And then it begins to work its way outward. So let's keep reading. Look what happens as Saul is on his way to Damascus to keep doing damage to the church and to the disciples of the Lord. The Bible says in verse 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And of course, this is none other than the Lord Jesus revealing himself in a miraculous way visibly to Saul of Tarsus. This makes him a very legitimate a candidate to be an apostle. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ called him to be and made him. And of course, this man that's about to be saved is going to write half of our New Testament and minister to churches in the Western Hemisphere, uh, amen, like no other apostle ever did. He is the apostle to us Gentiles. Blessed be his wonderful name for calling this man out, the Lord Jesus calling out Paul to be our apostle. And so verse 5, it says, he said, speaking of Saul, he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. This very man, Jesus of Nazareth, this person, the Son of Man, it turns out was exactly who he said he was, namely, the Lord of glory and the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. And he identifies himself from heaven to Saul of Tarsus this day, as Saul's eyes now have been blinded. And he is out on his face or on his back there on the road to Damascus. And he reveals himself and says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? 
And of course, the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither did he eat nor drink. And so here is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, whom we now know as the Apostle Paul. And by way of uh, introduction, let's just remind you what we spoke of in our last lesson. Number one, Paul's conversion here, like all conversions, happened suddenly in a moment of time, just like that. There is no process to getting saved. Now, let me clarify right here. There may be a process concerned when it comes to you getting full assurance in your heart that, yes, I have been saved. I am a partaker of the grace of God. There might be a process to that. We spoke of the fact that there is a process often leading us up to the point of salvation. That process is uh, God dealing with our conscience and heart inwardly, if you will. We often refer to this as conviction. Thank God for conviction. I realize we're living in a day and age that does not like to speak of those terms, but the old timers talked about it. And I'll tell you what brings conviction to the conscience of men, and that is the law of God. It shows us how far removed we are from the perfect standard that God requires, and it begins to make us feel guilty. That's what, that's what conviction is. It shows us our guilt. It sentences us inwardly as guilty, and we're troubled in heart and mind. And many times people will leave churches because they're under conviction when they hear the gospel preached, and they don't understand uh, they get frustrated because it doesn't feel good. Conviction is a, is a painful thing inwardly many times. It's a, a fearful thing. And Jesus Christ, we know Saul of Tarsus had been under conviction because the Lord reveals to us in verse 5, as he's speaking to Saul of Tarsus, he said to him these words, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Saul was dealing with, with uh, conviction, and he was kicking against that conviction. And pressing on in his hatred for the disciples of the Lord. But he had obviously some unanswered questions and he was feeling guilt. And the law was slaying him. You say, how do you know? Well, later on he gives us a short testimony in Romans 7, verse 7. When he said, for I had not known sin but by the law. He said, for I had not known lust except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And thank God for the law doing its work. It's a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. So there is a process that leads us to faith. But my friend, I'm not talking about the process of God dealing with us through conviction and in his providence and through preaching of the gospel. And I'm not talking about you coming to understand uh, more fully who you are in Christ or getting the assurance uh, that you wanted. I'm talking about when you got saved, if you're saved. It happened just like that. Suddenly, we saw that Saul, like all men, was converted suddenly. Right there when God appeared to him and became real to him. And we know that Saul believed because his testimony, uh, his personal testimony in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12 is very clear and a very classic uh, promise and verse in the Holy Scriptures. It tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, that Paul said, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 
And so we see here that Paul had believed on Christ and he met him here on the road to Damascus. And as we pointed out last week, this conversion was sudden. It happened just like that. It's a new birth. It's an operation made without hands and it happens in a moment of time. For another example of that, I encourage the listening audience and the Bible students that are listening to study Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43, and the salvation of the dying thief. Listen, there was no process to his conversion. It happened in a moment. He called on the Lord in faith and repentance, and immediately he passed from death to life. You say, how do you know? Because when he said, Lord, speaking to Jesus Christ, Lord, that's key. When did the dying thief own Jesus Christ as his Lord? There in his dying hours, in his last breaths, as he died, being executed for his crimes there on the cross next to our Lord Jesus, he cries out to Jesus Christ, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. My friend, that's a prayer of faith. He had faith in his heart and he expressed it through a simple prayer that was coming from a repentant heart. And immediately the Lord Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Amen. It happens in a moment of time when a man recognizes Jesus Christ for who he is and what he'll do if we will simply humble ourselves and look to him as our own Lord and Savior. Don't forget that verse says uh, in Romans ten nine that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And just as the dying thief was converted in a moment of time, just like that, uh, when he called on Jesus Christ to be his Lord, here we find the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, humbled in the sight of God and looking heavenward and saying in verse 6, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And for those who doubt that Paul was saved here on the road to Damascus, there are some religious folks out there that would argue with this a whole idea of Paul being converted right here. I will remind you that Paul's own testimony in 1 Corinthians fifteen eight tells us that last of all, Paul said he was seen of me, speaking of seeing Jesus Christ, last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. This is Paul's new birth right here. And it happened suddenly. And then we closed by briefly mentioning the second part of this, and that is this is not only sudden, this conversion, but it's also supernatural. This is a supernatural miracle of God, as all conversions are. Everybody who is converted, every one of you who've been saved, it is a miracle of God. It's a supernatural act. God does this great miracle in the heart, and we call it the new birth. Jesus called it the new birth. He said, you must be born again. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. How can he be a new creature? Because God has put to death the old man, and has raised up a new man. It's an operation, the Bible says in Colossians 2, that is made without hands. It's the operation of God. God did surgery on every believer. Amen. And I'm telling you that uh, God gave Saul a new heart, and God gave him a new life. This is what salvation is. It is an inside job. It is a new birth. It is a supernatural miracle that God performs. Now, let's talk about that for a little while today. Because the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 6, Paul writing to a uh, those in Christ and those in the church there in Philippi, he says, being confident. 
of this one thing, of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Are you a Christian? Are you saved? If you are, then you were converted suddenly. And if you are and have been converted suddenly in a moment of time, then God did a supernatural work in you that he is still working in you and still performing this great work, making you and conforming you and molding you more and more into the image of his dear son, Jesus Christ. One of the great truths of New Testament salvation is that the sorriest Christian among us, maybe that's me, maybe it's you, will one day be conformed to be exactly like Jesus Christ. We will be conformed into the image of his dear son, the sinless, spotless, perfect son of God, Jesus Christ. That's who we're going to be like. This is the one man that was able to please the father completely. In fact, when he was baptized in Matthew 3, the father said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And now everybody that's born again has been made accepted in the beloved, according to Acts, I'm sorry, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. And if you've been made over uh, in the image of Jesus Christ, if the good work of God has begun in your heart, let me ask you a question. Um, what has God done? to display his glorious work of salvation. Because here's the thing we need to get back to in this country. Too many Baptists, and I'm just talking to Baptists right now. Hopefully, we've got a lot of folks from different churches listening in. But let me address some of you Baptists. You know what our problem is? We've gotten very, very weak overall in our presentation of the gospel. And we are willing to accept uh, anything um, for proof of conversion. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean this. If a man is saved, there ought to be some evidence. And there ought to be some things that begin to appear in that man's life that accompany salvation. You're going to tell me God started a work in you and yet you're just the sorry sinner that you've always been, that there's been no change at all in your heart or in your life that's been displayed. You still sin just as much and love sin just as much. No, that doesn't make sense. Our churches many times don't want to offend anybody and they want to get as many people in the pew as possible. So they'll, they'll accept a membership letter transfer uh, as though that that proves that person's been born again. They'll accept someone saying, well, I got baptized when I was nine as though that that was their conversion. No, I'll tell you something. When you get saved by the good grace of God and you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it changes you completely on the inside. God begins a great work that he continues to do and perform in you. And that work that he's doing will begin to display itself outwardly. There will be some supernatural adjustments that God makes in your life that will become apparent to all. Now, I do not say, and I am not propagating an idea that, amen, if you're saved and if you've ever sinned after you got saved, that you weren't truly saved. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying this, that a man that gets born again and God does this miracle in his heart of changing this man on the inside will begin to display some differences in his life. You say, like what? Well, notice down in verse 9, or I'm sorry, verse 11, when God went to Ananias to announce to Ananias that there was a man in Damascus that he needed to go see by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He says this, the Lord said unto Ananias, 
I'm in verse 11. Are you reading with me? Let's see some of the supernatural changes that were brought about in Paul's life when he got saved. Here in Acts 9, 11, the Lord said unto Ananias, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Watch this. For, behold, he prayeth. Now think about this. Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Do you not realize that Pharisees said prayers all of their life? You can go back to Luke chapter 18 and see where there was a Pharisee in the temple who prayed thus with himself. Man, they were professional public prayers. They could talk to God. You would think they were talking to God, but the truth of the matter is their prayers never got any higher than the ceiling because they did not come on God's terms. You know, you talk to people sometimes and you say, are you saved? And their answer is, well, I, I pray every day. When someone answers that way, I know that they've never understood what salvation really is and more than likely they're lost. You say, what do you mean? Listen, you can't just pray anytime you want to, uh, any way you want to, whenever you feel like it. You've got to come on God's terms. What did Jesus say? Think about it. After he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, then what's he say? No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can't pray to the Father in heaven if you don't come through Jesus Christ. And so before Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, he said prayers, but those prayers never got any higher, amen, than the ceiling of the room that he was in when he said them. But now that he's met Jesus Christ and this supernatural act and miracle of God has taken place in Saul and changed him and made him a new creature in Christ, now, now heaven is hearing his prayers. And the Lord tells Ananias, Saul of Tarsus, he prayeth. Now heaven is hearing this man's prayers. They're filling up heaven. They're a sweet smelling incense and good. Uh, it's just a good uh, aroma in heaven. You realize that your prayers do have smell to them according to the book of Revelation. And so up goes Paul's prayers now. And those prayers are no longer just religious mumbo jumbo. It is actually God uh, hearing a man talk to him. Why? Because he has been cleansed in the blood of the Lord Jesus and has been made accepted in the beloved. And therefore his prayers are now being heard. And I'm going to tell you when a man gets saved, he may not know exactly what to say, but he will begin to communicate with his heavenly father. I think I mentioned last week, a man who just recently got saved, a man up in his seventies that this church has been praying for, for almost five years. And uh, many praying and asking God to open his heart and show him his need. And finally, he got saved and called on the Lord, was over here in the hospital for several weeks during this COVID-19 scare. And so nobody could visit him. Nobody could come in there except the nurses. And while he was there, he called on the Lord. He did business with Jesus Christ and he passed from death to life. And boy, we just rejoiced. And when I went to see this man, after he got out of the hospital and I stood there on his porch uh, talking to him through the screen door uh, as I was about to let him go because he's been a very sick man uh, recently in the physical realm. And uh, before I left, he said, hold on, preacher. And he bowed his head and he began to pray. And that's the first time I've ever heard him pray. And my friends, you, there was about 15 acres of heaven that just flooded down into that parking lot. Why? To hear a newborn child of God pray honestly, sincerely from the heart. Uh, 
thrilled my soul. And it was just amazing to let nobody instructed him how to pray. He just knows that I've got a new life. I've been adopted into the family and he lit into praying and talking to his heavenly father. And I'm telling you, it was one of the sweetest things I've heard in a long time. I'm talking about that when a man gets saved, like Saul of Tarsus, some supernatural things happen in him. A supernatural work of God takes place. That's what salvation is. Salvation is of the Lord. And it begins to, it changes a man completely on the inside. And pretty soon those around him or her begin to see the difference that Jesus makes. And so we see Paul praying. And then we notice also back there in verse six, when he got saved, he said, Lord, he goes, what will I have me to do? In other words, now he's got a new attitude. He's not just praying, but he's got a new attitude toward God. And can I tell you something? When a man gets saved, it'll change his attitude toward heaven, toward the Bible, and toward the Lord. A man uh, tried to tell me that uh, a fellow had gotten saved. And uh, soon after the man pro professed to have gotten saved, he started arguing that the Bible was full of mistakes. And he began to mock the Bible and mock church. And all I can assume is the man never got saved. You say, why not? Why do you say that? Because when a man gets right with God and he comes... Uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll change him. And he no longer makes fun of the Bible. He no longer doubts the Bible. He no longer uh, lives in unbelief. He's, he's, he's repented of his unbelief and he's now walking in belief. And here Saul's attitude changes entirely rather than breathing out more threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Now we see after his meeting with Jesus, immediately his attitude changes and he has a desire to serve and obey this Lord that he once persecuted. And he says, what will thou have me to do? What an attitude change. What an attitude adjustment that salvation brings. Amen and amen. It'll change your attitude towards your sin. According to Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 19 through 22, it says over there that now that we're saved, we're ashamed of the things we used to do. We're ashamed of our sin. We don't brag about it. We don't get out and march in parades about it. No, my friend, we're ashamed of what we used to do. Uh, it's, it, listen, there's a total attitude change when salvation is wrought in a man's heart. And then we see that he not only began to pray and had a different attitude, but we see that he began to make much of Jesus Christ. One of the first things he did in verse 20 was that he preached that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And I'm going to tell you, when you get saved, you'll start talking about him You'll start telling people how lovely and altogether lovely he is. And my friend, uh, that's just a natural or a supernatural. It's natural evidence of a supernatural change when a man begins to brag on the Lord Jesus and lift him up as the Savior of mankind. And then you'll notice, lastly, look down in verse uh, 26. When Saul was come to Jerusalem, this is sometime after his conversion. Notice what it says. He essayed to join himself to the disciples. So what I'm trying to show you today, very simply, as we finish up looking here at Saul's conversion, I'm showing you that not only is conversion sudden, but it's supernatural. And the changes that God makes in a man's heart begin to appear on display for all to see. And they glorify God because of this new man that's showing himself. Saul of Tarsus, who once persecuted the disciples of the Lord and wasted the church, is now praying to that Lord. He is now witnessing for that Lord. His attitude is one of surrender, submission, and obedience, and service to the Lord. 
And in verse 26 of Acts 9, when Saul came to Jerusalem, the Bible says he essayed to join himself to the disciples. He wanted to company with these people. He no longer wanted to kill them. He wanted to fellowship with them. And can I tell you, that's one of the great marks of conversion. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3 that we know that we have passed from death unto life. Why? Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Don't tell me you're saved and you hate Christians. No, my friend, you begin to love them. The ones that used to disgust you and irritate you now are your best friends, your closest confidants. And you look forward to fellowshipping with them uh, in fellowship around the Word of God and the Lord Jesus in local assemblies, gathering together, uh, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so we see the supernatural element of Saul of Tarsus's conversion. And you say, what did he do? Everything about him was changed. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And my friend, salvation is by grace through faith. And you're justified suddenly in a moment of time. But the supernatural act that God performs in your heart will change your life for days and years to come. And people will begin to look and say, who is this? What's changed about you? Listen, that's true New Testament salvation. It just follows like B follows A in the alphabet. Amen. Saul was a new man, and we see the supernatural power of God working in his life. And so we're going to continue looking at this again next week. There's a lot more here to study. But in the meantime, let me ask you this. Are you saved? Has God changed you? If not, why not humble yourself like a child and call on the Lord Jesus Christ even today and become a member of that very group that Saul was a member of, a part of the church, the body of Christ. May God help you as you seek his face.